Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast and the class today is dedicated in celebration of the marriage of Jennifer and Jeffrey Chira by Sapir and Daniel Oheb Shalom. For the Rifuash Lema of Baby Simcha Rose Bat Eliana by Frida and Adam Azrak. And in loving memory of Yehuda Fatal, Yehuda Ephraim Fatal, Ben Rina Alav Shalom by Leah and Frida Ini. I want to share today something which I think is a very powerful lesson. We're all familiar with the idea of Adam Arishon and Chava and the first sin. And the Pasuk says, after the snake convinces Chava to eat from the tree, the Pasuk says, And the woman saw that the tree was good to eat and it seemed like desirous to the eyes. And it was something that would allow you to be able to give uh, to get wisdom. And she took from the fruits and she ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now Rashi quotes a midrash, and the midrash says as follows: Shelo tamut he that she should not die, and he will live, and he will marry another. What a fascinating idea, first of all. You see, in the Pasuk, one would imagine that the Torah tells you that she saw how beautiful it was, you know, to the eye, and how good it looked to eat, and how, how much wisdom it would add. You know, you'd think, when the Pasuk ends and says, she gave also to her husband that she was giving it also in that vein. So in other words, you go to a restaurant, you taste something amazing, you turn to your wife or your husband, you say, oh my God, this is so good, you have to try it. Why are you giving it to that person to try? Because you enjoyed it, you want also them to enjoy it. The pasuk seems to say that this was the reason why she tried it, because it had all those benefits. And then it says that she gave it to her husband too, um, and, um, and, and then the Midrash explains that actually, you know what her motivation was? Her motivation was that she could not bear to think, oh my gosh, I've now eaten from it. If I've eaten from it, I was told by my husband that God said we're going to die. What well, I'm going to die, he's going to live, and he will marry another? I can't, that can't happen. So she gives him the fruit. This is a fascinating Rashi. Now first... Let's deal with where the Midrash got this from. Because how do you know that in the Pasuk? And the answer is hidden in one word. And she gave it also to her husband to eat with her. You see that then the motivation of giving it to her, to him, for her was that he should be only with her. That he should stay with her. Well, there's so many lessons here to be able to understand, but uh, and I want to talk about this in a, in a terminology that kind of uh, reflects and speaks to us at our level, because as we always say, these ideas are so lofty, they're so high, and the sadikim that we're talking about was so pure that they the mitzvah or the avera or whatever it was that they were doing is something that we can't even really begin to comprehend. You know, it's always on a much finer level and the, their motivations and their thoughts and their emotions were completely different, and they were much more spiritual, etc., etc. But the Torah still presents it in a way that allows all of us to be able to learn something on our level, even if that's not strictly 
our level is not strictly what was going on in their lives, but it's there for us to be able to understand that in ours and to learn lessons for ours. I just saw something so powerful in this that Chava eats from it for whatever reason she's enticed to, but she can't imagine for a second that there'll be someone else in her husband's life, in her husband's heart. That alone is enough to drive her to say, you're coming down with me. Powerful, powerful, powerful. So many times the motivations that we have are, uh, are very different than what they might seem on the surface. You know, what would you call that? Is that jealousy? Is that love? Is that a little bit of both? Is it the idea of wanting to have a connection with someone so strong that you're willing to hurt them in order to have that connection with them? Powerful idea, you know? You think about what the implication of what this Midrash is telling us. You know, that he shouldn't marry someone else. And he shouldn't, be, he shouldn't live and be with someone else. So therefore, I'm an, now the implication is, if he would have lived and not been with someone else, that would have been fine for her. She didn't mind that he would outlive her. She reminded, she minded being replaced. You know, you think about this idea in, um, in, in, uh, in our day-to-day lives. Maybe it's not so relevant as husbands and wives, but I mean, it can be in certain marriages. Um, you know, when people eventually move on and eventually want to marry someone else. Um, but, um, I, mean, I mean, obviously, you know, that is how the way of the world. People get divorced, people remarry. But sometimes people um, are, uh, are getting divorced because they're looking somewhere else before they're done putting in the effort over here, you know, because they're thinking the grass is greener on the other side. So when they're having those thoughts ahead of time and thinking that that's where they, you know, I wish my wife or I wish my husband was like that, sometimes it causes them to not put in the effort that they need to to be able to save a marriage. But as well, it happens in the workplace. When you're doing a job for a long time and you know it very well and suddenly things change, and now the world is built more on tech or it used to be about connections or family and now, you know, uh, there's networking events and people can kind of build connections that maybe you never could have built back in the day and suddenly a person is about to get replaced. It happens when children come into a family business, when uh, a dad's been running it all this time and there's this fear of being replaced, of not being needed as much. I mean, even to some degree, even when it's not sinister, like, you know... Um, when a, a, a child is is um, is growing up and a parent suddenly sees that the child has a mentor and then they feel that they were replaced in the way, you know, the kid used to come and ask them everything, give them advice, and now all of a sudden they have another their rabbi or they have a, a business mentor or whatever the case might be. So this idea, the feeling of being replaced is so horrible, it's so difficult to deal with that it can make people do things that are actually you know, are, are uh, far beyond anything that they might have thought of doing. But I think the flip side of the lesson, and this is always an important part of understanding Torah and learning about sins or bad things that people have done, is that we're not only supposed to learn the depravity, the depth of, you know, uh, of uh, selling someone down the river, or we're not only supposed to learn that, we're also supposed to learn the steps that got someone there, and then recalibrate ourselves or the way we deal with others so that others don't get to that place. Let me give you an example. You know, the Gemara says that uh, the, the jealousy that 
reigned in the house of Yaakov because Yosef was the favored son, you know, that caused uh, that the other brothers were so jealous that they were able to do, you know, what they did. But um, therefore the Gemara says in a practical lesson, even though I'm sure that the lessons are much higher, etc., etc., but the Gemara tells us very clearly and says very explicitly, a person should not show favoritism to one son over another because look what happened here. So we're supposed to also learn from something like that how to navigate around. We find another example about this in actually in our parasha, where Cain and Hevel both decide to bring korbanot to God. It's Cain's idea. Cain brings an inferior sacrifice, something that's beneath what he really should be bringing. And God says, you know, you can do better. But then Hevel brings a good korban and God turns to the korban. And Cain is so mad, he stands up and kills his brother. I mean, wow. Now, granted, I don't know that they even understood what killing was. The, the Midrash says, the bloods of your brother are calling to me from the earth, right? Why bloods in plural? Because Cain didn't know how to kill Hevel. No one had ever killed anybody. So he's hitting him everywhere in every body part, trying to understand how one kills a human. I mean, it's crazy stuff that, you, that we're reading about, so many lessons. But again, I, I wonder, what if Cain had brought a korban that had not been accepted? It sounds in the parasha that actually Cain would not have had a problem with that. It was the fact that Hevel's was accepted and his wasn't. Again, this concept of feeling replaced. You know, it teaches us an unbelievable lesson with regards to making people understand and feel that they are irreplaceable. Now, you might argue that that's not true in a business. You know, there's no one who's irreplaceable. You can always get another salesman, another CEO, another CFO. You can get someone to run the floor. You can get someone to run the books. There's always someone else that can come in. But I don't think that that's what bothers people. It doesn't bother an accountant that you found another accountant. What bothers the person is that I, as a person, was replaced. I am replaceable. That idea is so reprehensible to human beings because we understand intuitively our uniqueness and how special we are individually. And it's sometimes hard for people to understand their individual strength, power, you know, and, uh, and importance because when you break a person down to the sum of his parts, you know, each piece might be able to be replaced. But when someone in their totality brings all that they bring together to the table, that's a package that is literally irreplaceable. Because although we are both accountants, me and this other person, as an example, you know, I might have an inside knowledge of, the, of this specific business, which will help me do it better. Or I might have uh, family connections, or I might have business connections, or connections from school. So there's something that I bring, there's something that I bring to the table which is uh, unique. And it's incumbent upon us, w- with the people in our lives, that we make them understand and feel what is about them that is unique. So that that element of feeling irreplaceable is there. So you see the, the disastrous consequences of when someone feels the pain of being replaced. And therefore, the flip side of that is in the need to be able to, uh, to circumnavigate that. Now, um, we all, you know, if we have a family, we will have had a child. Uh, and then you give birth to a second child and the first kid is a baby and we actually spend time trying to figure out how to make the younger kid who was the only child in the family 
uh, now accept that there's another baby in the house. And, you know, you're very careful about having them around because you could have young kids that get jealous, you know, and you make sure to talk to the child about the upcoming baby and you make sure to try and figure out how to cast it in a positive light and you make sure to tell the kid what's so special about him. (coughs) You see, we do it when we're talking to children, but oftentimes we forget that when it comes to emotions, most adults are children. Why? Because the development from an adult to a child oftentimes is in their logical state, in their mental state, in their intellectual state. But emotions, because they are in some sense detached from the intellect, sometimes people don't have a level of emotional maturity. You know? And you see it coming out with even people who are uh, very developed uh, and they're very clever and they're very smart and they're very successful. Something comes along and they feel disrespected or in this instance replaced and, and they lash out and the anger and the burning of bridges. I mean, it's remarkable, but that's really what we're witnessing. So this the lesson from the Torah, I think, speaks to the idea of uh, reminding ourselves what we did when we had our second child. We made sure that the person had uh, awareness of what was coming ahead of time. We made sure to cast it as a thing that was a positive light. We made sure to make them understand how special they were and how unique they were. We made sure to make sure we made sure to ensure as well that we were setting up technical boundaries. So the kid has as a baby has his own room, or there's a crib with the walls, so the person can't do that damage. You know, is uh, also important to be able in times of transition and change to be able to protect. The the the, uh, the people around us, both the the new and the old, um, and I think um, that the Torah here is giving us a remarkable lesson in uh, human psychology and in human midot, and as well in the wisdom of how to integrate uh, the new with the old. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'Amen.